Good morning and welcome to West Seattle Christian Church. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. And we are in our unqualified series where we're talking about different characters in the scriptures and uh, those who seemingly are unqualified for a task that God has called them to. And uh, then we find out that there's something deeper within that God is seen in them and is using them for a reason. Um, and then we're looking for implications based on that for our own lives. And so this week we're jumping in with Jonah, the story of Jonah. If you're not familiar, I'm just going to read a little excerpt of the story uh, for you. It's a very short book, so you should be able to read it on your own. And I challenge you to do that. Um, and we're going to read from Jonah chapter 3, um, verses 3 through 10. Uh, briefly here, and you'll get the gist of it. Basically, Jonah is a very reluctant prophet. He, he has been in the court of the king in Israel for a while, and then God calls him to go and prophesy to uh, Israel's sworn enemies, <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to do that. And so uh, uh, he kind of runs away, and if you're familiar with the story, uh, he is swallowed by a big fish, and he does some soul searching, and then he ends up saying, fine, I'll do it. Um, so we're going to examine that and what that means for us, and also what Jesus said about that. So let's dive in, starting in Jonah chapter 3, verses 3 through 10. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began going on a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. All right, so as we look at this story, I'm going to tell you up front that I'm going to talk a lot about Jesus because Jesus talked about this story of Jonah. And when he did that, he said, he said that it was an imperfect picture of Jesus himself, this story of Jonah. In Luke 11, verses, verse 30, Jesus says, For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. So in this and other verses, Jesus says that both Jonah the person, the man, and Jonah's message are an imperfect picture of Jesus himself and Jesus' message. He says they are they're almost, but not quite, what I'm all about. And we're going to look at this this morning and what this unqualified prophet has to say uh, to us about Jesus's message. So I think at the core of this message is this, the good news that Jesus came to bring to the world is that the world we live in is not all that there is. There is another way of, of, of life. There is more to life than what we see than what we what we experience. So in our reading, it's the moment when Jonah rolls up to Nineveh and he spits out this partial truth, and we're gonna examine that in, in a minute. He spits out this partial truth and the world changes. 
But in some ways, we have to realize that there is this spoken message that he gives that's not the whole message. Because Jesus says later that Jonah himself is the sign. He says Jonah, not just his message, but Jonah himself is the sign. He is the sign to the Ninevites, and he's also a sign to us. But what is he a sign of? Because that can be kind of confusing. And I really think it's, it's quite simple, actually. He is a sign of self-sacrifice. Even though he doesn't want to do it, he is a sign of self-sacrifice. And that, my friends, is a core tenet in the kingdom of God. The notion of self-sacrifice, the ability to give of yourself in a, in a sacrificial way. Why is it a core tenet of the kingdom? It's a core tenet because it's integral to the way of life that Jesus came to show us. So let's look at a moment at the actual words of Jonah to the Ninevites, just for a second, as they're recorded in the original Hebrew. We just read it a minute ago. His statement is only five words long in the Hebrew language. But I think there's an interesting point to make here about the truth of Jesus's message, what he says there. Um, and it's fairly short and simple. Sometimes we make it quite complicated. Um, and this happens, I think, when we focus on only one small part of it. And that's not such a bad thing, but the message itself is really quite simple. And I think it had to be because initially uh, the message that was given to, by Jesus to the people that were listening to him, they, they didn't have any intellectual training. And quite often you see that in the scriptures, the message of the kingdom that God is delivering through whoever it is that's representing him, he just drops it in on their life right at the right moment in some type of encounter. And the what is that message? Well, when you look at Jesus's life, probably one of the biggest parts of it simply is Jesus himself. Jesus manifesting himself as a human being on earth, which is basically God saying, hey, look, I am here now. I am with you face to face, and we don't need to be separated again. That's kind of the, the personal message of salvation that most of us know, and we're really comfortable with it. We love it. We like it. We get the warm fuzzies from that. And I don't want to um, denigrate that idea, but it's the idea of being saved from the threat of death, from eternal separation from God, saved from purposelessness, of never really knowing who we are. That's this personal salvation message of the person of Jesus and him coming as a human being. And when that comes about in your life, when we come to a real faith in God, when we declare Jesus as king in our lives, as maybe you don't like that language, maybe as your boss, some people like the word father, the Lord of our individual life, of your individual life. This is the message, the good news that we come back to often because we're quite comfortable with it. We need to be reminded of it. And I think we do see that message here in Jonah, in Jonah 2, 9, 2 verse 9. But I, with, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What have I vowed I will make good? I, I will say, remember, he's in, the, he's in the belly of the fish. He says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And then God says, after, he, after he's out on the beach, he says, now go to Nineveh and give them the message that I'm going to give to you. And Jonah says, okay, I will. He walks into the city and he says, everything's going to be fine. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's what it says, right? No, that was a long convoluted way to get to this point. Those five words in Hebrew where he gives the good news. He says in the belly of the fish, I'm gonna proclaim the good news of the salvation of the Lord. But what he actually says in those five words is, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Sounds like good news, right? <laughs> That's what he says. 
So that's why I talked about it being a partial message. He kind of, he's so reluctant that even when he says to God, he's going to say it one way, he says it another way. But actually, it is the same good news that Jesus brought. And it's the message that we are called to take to the world today. Not that partial message, but the whole thing. It's an element, the way Jonah de um, delivers it is actually an element of the good news that I think we can neglect. And it's the element of the good news about the kingdom of God. Um, and what I mean by that is this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, it tells us that this is the reason that Jesus came, this message about the kingdom of God. Jesus says in that verse, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. That is why I was sent. Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, we're told, in Matthew, we're told that it's the very first thing that we should pray for after we've acknowledged God and put him in his rightful place in our lives, in the Lord's Prayer. Um, you can see that there on screen. Luke chapter 10, verse 9. Uh, when Jesus sent his disciples out into the world, he sent them out to bring the good news about the kingdom. Now, if you've been in the church for a while, sometimes the kingdom of God can seem like a bit of a complicated idea. And sometimes the parables that are used to teach about it in the Bible seem a little bit hard to understand, especially in Matthew. But at the heart of this idea of the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God exists wherever God is king. Wherever God is king. Luke chapter 17, verse 21 says, Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Wherever in the world God is king, the kingdom is there. Wherever men and women and children, wherever the systems that we live by, wherever the environment is arranged in a way which puts God in his rightful place as king, then the kingdom of God is there. So when that happens in our lives, when we do the personal salvation thing, the kingdom comes. Because when you're baptized and when you remember that you were baptized, you are acknowledging God as king. And when you do that, the kingdom comes you become like an outpost for the kingdom. An outpost for the kingdom is set up in our lives. But it's also a, more than a personal thing. It's a way that we live together. The kingdom of God is what our world looks like. It's what our world would look like if God was put in his rightful place as king. And sometimes that happens in the world. Sometimes that happens in the church. Sometimes it doesn't. The kingdom of God is built when we meet someone during the week, maybe somebody in desperate need of something, and you say to them, you know what, I think Jesus can help you with that if you put him in charge of that, whatever is going on in your life. The kingdom comes when entirely unknown to you and me or unknown to the church, Jesus reaches into people's lives and he puts a desire in their heart uh, to read the Bible or he jolts them with a miraculous experience. I have a good friend who had an amazing miraculous experience on the beach years ago. He grew up in, in a Jewish family that didn't really practice. And he, he um, was standing on the beach and he felt like everything was falling apart in his life. And he audibly heard uh, God's voice speak to him. And his, the tr entire trajectory of his life changed completely. Um, it's when someone... Um, has an experience like that and they get emotional strength or whatever situation they're going through, they get help in it or they hear the, the voice of God audibly. And in response to all these things, that person or those people put God in his place as king. So if that's what the kingdom of God is, 
then what's the good news about the kingdom of God? Because Jesus says, I'm going to come to preach the good news of the, of the kingdom of God. And remember, I, I told you before, it's really simple. The good news is this. When you look at the world and you look at your situation, and you look at what's going on, the systems that we're all a part of, the desires that we have, the kinds of relationships and the lives that we see people living around us, and, and a lot of it looks bad. That is not all there is. The good news is there is another way. This other way, the kingdom of God, is radically inclusive. And here are some verses about it. Matthew 13, uh, verse, starting in verse 31. The pictures we have of, uh, have of it here are of a tree where all the birds, all kinds of birds, all the people of the world, if you will, can rest in its branches, or it's like a net where all the fish come tumbling in together. Matthew chapter 5, uh, in a couple places, verse 3 and verse 10, and uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 14. These give us a picture that in the kingdom of God, the people in charge are not the thieves, not the rich, not the powerful, not the swindlers, not the greedy, but they are the poor in spirit, those who have it hard because they are always trying to do the next right thing. And when you do the next right thing, it doesn't always work out well. Guess who else is in charge? Kids, children, in the kingdom of God, you're in charge. Amazing. First Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not based on words either. Fundamentally, so many kingdoms are set up and based upon the words that come out of people's mouths. Think about how many promises are made during political campaigns during this season, no matter who is saying them. Many of these promises are just words, um, but they are they are they never really come to fruition. The kingdom of God, however, is based on God's eternal power, real power. Luke 13, 21, the kingdom of God is not some way of living that only works for the well-off or those for for only for those who go to church on Sundays. The kingdom of God is found mixed up in the real stuff of life every day of the week. And that's all because the kingdom of God is a world which is built on putting God in his rightful place as king. And it's led by a king who does not lead by emotion or spiritual intellectual force, but he leads by humility and love and self-sacrifice. Mark 10, 45 says that that's the king we have in the kingdom of God. And so his people that the king's people are called to that same way of life, that same way of self-sacrifice. That's the hope that we have to offer people when we talk about sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. It's how things were meant to be. That's what Jesus was offering, and it's what we are called still to offer another way in this life. We offer that to other people. Now, I know some of you are thinking, uh, wasn't he originally preaching on Jonah? <laughs> Yeah, let's go back and check that out for a minute. The thing is, um, it's solid ground and uh, what the kingdom of God is. It's, it's, fundal, it's fundamental to understanding Jonah's message to the Ninevites, everything that we just talked about, about the kingdom of God. It's, it, we have to start there so that we can understand this a little bit. So despite how Jonah literally says, I'm going to say salvation comes from the Lord, and then he goes to the Ninevites and he does not say that. He gives them a very different message. But in the combination of what he says and who he is, what he is doing, even though reluctantly, he does nail the kingdom story and particularly this message of self-sacrifice. 
And I know we don't typically look at it this way. We want to say, well, he just kind of did. That's that's kind of surface level where we just leave it as, well, he kind of did it, but he didn't really do it. But at least he did it. You know, you got to remember, these are the people that come. God says, go tell these people to repent. And then they do. And Jonah's upset about it. He's a, He is upset that the people, that God loves the people he hates. <laughs> and, and we kind of leave it there. But um, he says, he says, um, I, I, I'll do it. But I, but, I'll, but I don't really want to do it. And I think that's where we find ourselves a lot of times. In Jonah 3, verse 4, he says to the Ninevites, you know, all around you, another way of looking at this, he goes, another, all around you, you know, everything you see and everything you have and everything you're doing, none of that is going to last. When he says, everything's going to get overthrown, he's basically saying, none of this is going to last. It won't last. And in God's, in God's time, it's all going to come tumbling down. He's basically saying, this is what you, the way you live, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And by his life, he shows a little bit about what the kingdom of God is like. Because ultimately, even though he grumbles, God is the king of Jonah's life. He is living in the kingdom. Um, the, what I mean by him, the man, representing, representing what God wants him to represent with the kingdom of God is this. He's taken from the palace of the king of Israel and... He ends up on a beach, and he is covered in fish vomit. And for the sake of a group of people, which eventually this group of people end up destroying Israel, they're going to destroy his country down the road. Um, Jonah, remember, Jesus describes him as a sign for the Ninevites. And he's a man who is a long way from home. He walks a, a day's journey into this city, a third of the way into the city, because it's a massive city. He's clearly reluctant to be there. He comes in a powerless way. He comes in an incredibly vulnerable way on his own. I, I hope you're seeing the overtones here of how Jesus came. And I think the Ninevites would have been immediately struck by all of this upside downness of how Jonah comes to them. He's there. He's here, though, in the service of his king, God. Yahweh and his message ultimately it doesn't look like it comes true right because he's like you're going to get destroyed and then they don't get destroyed and I think that that has an overtone with Jesus as well he says all these things and then it looks like he and he lives this way and he does all these miracles and he says I'm here to save you and it looks like he doesn't win when he's hanging on the cross what Jonah says doesn't come true when God looks at Nineveh. And, he, and it says, actually, this actually, this changed the, uh, the version of Nineveh, of Nineveh. When the king comes down, what happens is Jonah delivers his message and the king comes down off his throne. The king takes his, himself out of the place where God should be. And, he's, and, and he takes off his kingly robes and he, and he lets go of his pride. And he actually... What we talked about, how the kingdom of what the kingdom of God is, he actually puts God in his rightful place when he does this, when he listens to Jonah's words. And then because of that, God says then, okay, this, this can stay. Nineveh can stay because the kingdom of God is now present here. So Jonah is a man who poured out his service to a people who are his sworn enemies with no guarantee that they would ever actually agree with him. And in doing so, he demonstrates the core value of self-sacrifice, which is perhaps the core value of the kingdom of God. 
I want you to remind you of some New Testament passages as well. Romans 5 tells us that at just the right time when we were powerless, Jesus died for us. That self-sacrifice it's a, it is the core value of the kingdom of God. And that's why um, I wanted you to take notes in the beginning about Jesus' words about Jonah, uh, that Jonah is a partial picture of Jesus and his message. Because I want you to see that in every obvious way, uh, Jonah was unqualified, or he was, actually, he was qualified. It seemed like he was for the job at the beginning. He was already a prophet speaking uh, in, the king, in the king of Israel's court. But it's this journey of self-sacrifice and all the ups and downs he takes that he has to face himself along the way, which makes him worthy as an ambassador. Even though he doesn't want to do it and then he does it, God it seems pleased with that. Don't miss the part where he basically goes through a watery grave and essentially is given new life to live a new different way when he comes through, goes overboard and goes through the belly of that fish. There's a big giant parallel with, with uh, Jesus right there. So Jonah is a story for me that essentially it holds up a mirror to my life and it says, will you lay down your life for the people who believe something totally different than you? And, and perhaps they will end up believing what you believe, but maybe they won't. And will you do it not because uh, you want to build up the numbers of people who believe the same thing as you, to make you feel like you're winning, that you're succeeding, that you're successful, but because this is how people behave in this new kingdom that Jesus has set up. In, in God's kingdom, you pour it all out for people who are not your people. And I think our lives follow that trajectory of Jonah where we're like, I don't want to. And then I do, and then I don't want to. I'll do it this way. And because maybe that's part of the way it's meant to be, but uh, there's some implications from this story that might be a bit uncomfortable for you and me. Um, first one is, will you step out of the role of just serving those who already believe what you believe and use your talents and skills for the benefits of those who don't believe? which you already believe? Will you actually spend time learning the things of God so that you can pass them on when you have the opportunity um, um, to, to pass them on? Not in the hope of you getting some kind of uh, accolade or notice or you know for it uh, or gratitude um, or for the hope of hundreds of people converting to Christianity, but because living sacrificially in these ways is how the kingdom works. It's how it was meant to be. And I just want to pour a little peroxide on that scratch for, for a second. Um, if you've been a Christian for like five minutes, we often go to this verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, when talking about giving the good news. It says, always be prepared to give an answer uh, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, right? And we'd all say, amen. Uh, but I would encourage you to look at the whole part of that scripture, both before and after, because it says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's a, that's a, that's kind of hard for, for some of us. Um, maybe it's hard for you. Basically, Jesus has taught us that first off, we put, we put God in his rightful place. We make him the king of our life. 
And at the end, when you give the answer to anyone who asks you to give them the reason for the hope that you have, you do it with gentleness and respect. So there's a kingdom way of doing this thing that we're talking about, which is giving someone the good news of Jesus. Um, in the end, though, Jonah does, uh, as Jonah does, we will give up our focus on our own privileged, privileged position in the kingdom of God and need to put a, a stake kind of through our heart of the pride that we have of knowing how God has blessed us. Because what happens in the church is we love to be with our people and there's nothing wrong with that. There's, it's great to bask in the goodness of being around our, our church family. And, but what happens often is that we forget and we don't feel the deep yearning that God has for millions of people that don't know him and don't know that he loves them. And they don't know that there's another way or a better way. And that's something that Jonah has to get his head around at the end of this story, and so do we. The last thing I would like to say about kind of extrapolating an implication from this story of Jonah is, will we sacrifice our view of what we think the kingdom should look like? We have this kind of hidden tendency that the very best version of the kingdom of God comes on Sunday mornings and um, in church buildings the world over. And believe me, I, 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 get, I get the messages even right now, like we should be meeting or something like that. Oh, there's a bunch more of you who say, no, we shouldn't be meeting until it's safe and um, we're all healthy um, during COVID. But we have to admit that there's been this thing that the kingdom of God is just like what happens when we're at our church building doing a church function or something like that. But I want to ask you this, will you dare to believe, to pray, to dream for an explosion of what the kingdom of God, which doesn't look, can be, which doesn't look anything like what happens only on Sundays or at a church function, and that you can pour yourself out in the service of whatever that is. See, the reason that the self-sacrifice is a core value of the kingdom of God is simply this. It's a core value of the king himself. Because the supreme act of the king of the kingdom was to sacrifice himself for you and I. And he leaves us the choice about whether we want to do anything about it. And he leaves that entirely up to us. This is what sharing the good news about the kingdom of God is like. It's when we pour ourselves out for people who are not our people. Amen.